Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what will be the focus of the last week of Parliament before the summer break? The key piece of legislation the government still wants is uh, the C-11, the Broadcasting Act, and they'll get that by Tuesday. Uh, they'll have some, some more debate that they, they want to put in the window before they go away on uh, the government's you know, firearms, you know, gun control legislation. So we're going to see that. Preparations are underway for another possible convoy and protests starting on Canada Day. And we will be relying on uh, assistance from federal, provincial and municipal police uh, services. Uh, to support us in uh, providing the security that's going to be required for these events. And Jean Charest insists he can win the Conservative leadership race. Now we need a leader who's able to win and to form a national Conservative government with a national Conservative agenda and unite the country, which I will do. And that, that'll be the issue for our membership when they vote for, uh, for an outcome that we'll see on the 10th of September. It's Monday, June 20th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. So normally on Mondays, we, we kind of take a look ahead to what's coming up this week in Parliament, and we can do that right now. And uh, But I think since this is likely to be the last week of this session of Parliament before the summer break, and the last time we'll be talking on this podcast before the summer break, um, uh, I thought we could look even further beyond that, because I think there are some themes that are going to be talked about in the House of Commons once again this week, themes of uh, around the uh, economy and inflation, uh, th- things around uh, how difficult it is for some people to travel right now, uh, the the pandemic and whether whether some mandates are going to be needed again, the response to those mandates, uh, the invoking of the Emergencies Act, and the fact that we are hearing that there will be protesters coming to Ottawa around Canada Day this summer. It's shaping up to be both a busy week and a busy summer for the government. Yeah, to be clear, the, the parliamentary calendar has been set, so it can't go any later than Thursday. And, you know, and historically, they're always gone, uh, you know, uh, to allow MPs to get back to their riding in Quebec for St. Jean-Baptiste Day, which is Friday. So one way or the other, they're out of Ottawa by Thursday at the latest. It's more likely they'll be out of here at the latest, uh, I would think, you know, midweek, even before that. Uh, the, the key piece of legislation the government still wants is uh, the C-11, the Broadcasting Act, and they'll get that by Tuesday. Uh, they'll have some some more debate that they they want to put in the window before they go away on uh, the government's you know firearms you know gun control legislation. So we're going to see that uh, likely dominate this week. Prime Minister's gone on another international trip to Africa. But you're right, Mark. Um, Parliament will go away in the next couple of days. But the key issues before parliamentarians won't, even though they're not here to uh, to deal with them in the context of you know, any other kind of legislation or any other kind of debate in the in the national parliament. But um, you know, inflation, affordability, housing issues—they're still going to be front and center. They're still going to dominate. And you're right. Uh, the you know lifting of vaccine mandates uh, kicks in today for for travelers uh, across the country and for travelers outbound from Canada going on international trips. Testing rules have changed. Uh, it'll, you know a lot of that is. Uh, we'll see what kind of influence that has on the uh, on the backups at uh, some of the major airports. But you know uh, a new freer, if I can put it that way, uh, pandemic response uh, awaits Canadians in the weeks ahead. The question is, 
uh, you know, as we start to see some some mounting evidence of of reinfection and infection with different you know uh, sub variants uh, now of of Omicron. Are we going to see another surge, and could we return to vaccine mandates? And you're right, throw into all of that uh, conversation. Uh, you know, protesters planning more demonstrations on Parliament Hill on Canada Day and, and this summer. I'll be watching to see how many people show up. If it's if a lot of the mandates are dropped and still dropped, and people are enjoying new freedom, uh, the question will be, what are they here to protest? And presumably, that's you know still a residual anger over. The mandate demands that, uh, the, that the people who were who lost their jobs be compensated or get their jobs back, and looking forward to the possible reimposition of mandates and saying we don't want any of that and we're here to to make that case. But I'd, I'll be really curious to see how many people show up in the in the heat of the summer if they've had a chance to uh, open up plans and do other things rather than come to protest on Parliament Hill. Yeah, and I I think that's an essential part of the question. And I I know there are people who feel it was never just about the mandates in the first place. And, and that's often the case with, with movements that happen, with protest movements, that they're, they're about a specific issue, but that's actually just kind of the front end of it. And there's, there's a lot of other stuff in behind it. So um, what do you think about the potential? I know it'll be handled differently this time around, and I'm assuming that there won't be trucks parked on, on downtown roads in Ottawa, but there could be a lot of people in downtown Ottawa who are still expressing their discontent with the government. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, are we likely to see a repeat of what we've seen? It, it seems unlikely, simply because of, as you touched on, the, the way you know law enforcement will handle it and they, the way they handle a couple of subsequent tries to... Uh, have big demonstrations in the parliamentary precinct again uh, again after the ones we saw in January February uh, shut them down pretty quickly diverted them away from uh, Parliament Hill uh, one assumes that that's the same tactic they would take if they hear that a whole lot of people are showing up uh, to demonstrate on Parliament Hill but it'll be important to watch uh, what those people have to say if they do show up in great numbers and what what the case is they're making and contrast that against what we're actually living and we'll have a chance to know, you know, what it is they want, what it is they don't want. And, you know, we'll be living with uh, more freedoms, pandemic freedoms, or, or maybe we'll be living with the prospect of a return to restrictions. So the debate will, will be interesting. And I'll also be looking to see how, you know, if, it, if we do get big demonstrations and we do have a conversation around returning to more restrictions, that's going to come just as, you know, members of the Conservative Party are getting ready to start making ranked ballot choices about who they want. So I'll, I'll be watching to see how candidates in the race react to any new big protests or any new, you know, uh, possibility of a return to mandate. Yeah. So the other thing that's going to continue over the course of the summer, even as as people move away from Parliament Hill, uh, is the story of the Conservative leadership race. And uh, the voting will be in September, and we'll find out who the new leader of the party is, who the new leader of the official opposition is. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of campaigning in the summer, and already different... You know, there's there's actually a lot that's taken shape just since the announcement of of uh, by the campaigns and not by the party of of how many memberships have been sold. And I think the the early theme is there are people like Jean Charest who are trying to convince others that this race is not over. He's done a number of interviews, including with you in the past few days, during which he said he still has a chance to win this thing. Um, oh, the, even more emphatic, Mark, not a chance. He will win. Right. 
Uh, yeah. He says, I will win this. And he, he lays out the, the the grand strategy, and it's the same as the others, frankly, who are after Pierre Polyev, and that is that, you know, don't don't be, uh, you know, don't don't make more than you should out of the sale of memberships. Yeah, Mr. Polyev says he sold 312,000. We'll see, because the party's going to vet all of those and is in the process of vetting all of those. Uh, but it's really, he's back to the point system in the same case Patrick Brown makes and the others make, uh, that it's about points. So you can sell tens of thousands of memberships, but if you sold them a lot, uh, if you sold uh, a lot of them in one or, you know, it's in, in a number of different writings, basically it's the, it's the points per writing argument that they make as giving them still a path to victory. Um, I, I think the really interesting thing is, you know, uh, to watch for is how sharp two things. What actually, you know, what is, what are, what are the, what is the number of members that will actually be eligible to select the new leader based on, you know, the boiled down numbers we get from the party whenever they, re, you know, release preliminary lists. And there's no reason to believe it's still not going to be a, a huge amount of people and a record amount of people to take part in a leadership race in country. Um, and, you know, mem- you know, the candidates need access to those lists to start trying to make, you know, that persuasion argument about why you should think of me as, as number one or think of me as number two, even though you were signed up by somebody else. So that watch for how, how uh, energetic that process becomes in the, in the weeks ahead. And secondly, how sharp the attacks become on Pierre Poliev. And that was uh, interesting to me this week in talking to Jean Charest and Patrick Brown. I uh, spoke to both of them, and both of them sharpened their attack. They say, look, look what's happened here the last you know, couple of weeks. Pierre, you know, one of Pierre Poliev's signature economic ideas was, like, get, steer everybody into Bitcoin, and it's falling through the floor. So that's the kind of leader he's going to be, uh, making you know, uh, uh, poor economic choices and uh, poor economic recommendations to Canadians. So we saw how we've seen how just how pointed the attacks against Pierre Polyev become if people think that he's clearly the runaway uh, leader and we'll get a better feel for that when we see all these membership lists and so on and you know whether uh, you know uh, just just how angry those attacks become and how personal those attacks become on Pierre Polyev uh, as, as a way to fight back against the attacks he's made against his opponents. Yeah, and I guess the question is whether enough of that is going to land, because I suspect a lot of the people who are supporting Pierre Poilier, for them, it's not so much about the policies that he's espousing or uh, or what he's talking about, but the fact that they see him as the as the person who best represents how they feel right now and, and how they feel about the current government. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, and you would think that the people, given... Uh, how long Pierre Poilievre has been around, how many people show up at his campaign rallies, what his supporters say they like about him, and what the polling suggests. It's going to be hard to shake those people away from, from Pierre Poilievre. So, you know, it, it's not clear to me, you know, notwithstanding the argument over numbers per riding, uh, you know, the other point John Charest makes is, look, in the last couple of leadership race, the front runner doesn't win. You know, Max Bernier didn't win. Uh, you know, Peter McKay didn't win. So Pierre Polyev is not going to win. That's the Jean Charest uh, argument uh, about why he's going to win because he's going to come from you know uh, from another place and and beat the the front runner. But it's hard to say how how those those people you know get shaken loose. Um, in, and and again, you see them emphasizing the argument that you know in, you know that they they talk about polling numbers that show that progressives. You know, liberal voters, NDP voters prefer Charest or Brown to Pierre Polyev. 
okay, I guess that's important if they they've all decided they're fed up with Pierre Trudeau and they want a, the conservative option in the next election, and that they would look at uh, at a, a leader that's closer in some ways to their values than Mr. Polyev might be. But there's, there's a lot of ifs involved in that conversation that uh, that uh, that Josh Array and Patrick Brown are are going to be pushing. You're going to hear a lot of that over the next number of weeks. Back to the winnability thing. They're going to keep hammering that message because that's uh, seemed to me the only way they can knock Pierre Polyev. They have to convince Polyev supporters that uh, that it's a stronger argument that he can't win than he, than he's the right guy for you. Right. All right. It's going to be a very interesting week as we wrap up and a very interesting summer as well. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Mark. It's been great to talk to you and uh, take care. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. To press the government to get in line with Canadian values and to start working hard for Canadians on their issues and not lecturing them from a podium, telling them how good things are, things are, and that they should hurry up and wait. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert asks if Justin Trudeau is headed for defeat. Hébert writes... Since the Prime Minister's re-election last fall, the Liberal minority government has increasingly been running on empty. Instead of giving Justin Trudeau's team a second wind, the striking of a cooperation agreement with the NDP seems to have given it a license for inertia. In the current economic climate, it would be folly for Trudeau to take his alliance with the NDP for granted. Unless he raises his government's game, it will become untenable for Jagmeet Singh to stick with the Liberals long before the Accord's 2025 expiry date. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues the user-generated content provisions must be removed from Bill C-11. The Sun writes, The express purpose of the bill is to modernize broadcasting regulations in Canada to bring them up to speed with online streaming and social media. But the legislation is also a gateway to online censorship. It gives the CRTC the power to regulate what they call user-generated content. This means that what Canadians post to places like YouTube and TikTok would fall under government control. The government swears that they're not planning on using these powers to censor Canadians' voices, but then why have them on the books? In The Hamilton Spectator, David Clement considers what Canada could learn from Japan on housing. Clement writes... How does Canada make home ownership more feasible? One possible answer is to follow Japan's lead and simply build more homes. So many new homes that supply keeps up with demand. Prior to the pandemic, Japan was building nearly 1 million new homes per year, which is largely why average home prices in the country stayed relatively flat for nearly a decade. Japan's deregulatory approach has historically meant that the country was easy to build in, with significantly fewer restrictions on building height and density. Canada's major cities need to immediately look at zoning reform, specifically ending exclusionary zoning. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings, and Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will meet with the U.S. Treasury Secretary in Toronto. The day will include a working lunch, an armchair discussion hosted by Canada 2020, and a joint news conference. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, June 20th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.